0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org.
1: So I have a few questions uh, that we're just going to ask. This is a, in lieu of our ongoing rolling out of how we can serve and be a blessing to our community. this is another opportunity, uh, the last of the four that you've been hearing about as a church. So tell us a little about uh, a little bit about how and why the pantry was started. I don't know who's tackling what questions, but I, can, I have questions here.
0: I can, I can start. Um, so the pantry was started back uh, in May. 2020 sounds about right, summer 2020? October, October, you're right. (laughs) The idea came about uh, in summer 2020, kind of the very early days of the pandemic when a lot of the ways that we were serving in the community had been shut down or weren't accepting volunteers for any reason. Um, Meg's idea, she had a relative down in Alabama who was serving a pantry, uh, a little free pantry just like this, in her home church. And so Meg had the amazing idea that why can't we do this here? And it was a super creative way. We could kind of fill the gap um, when a lot of ways, like I said, ways that we were serving um, weren't really allowing us to serve in person anymore. And it's a very literal interpretation of what Jesus says at the end of Matthew when he says, when you were, when, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And so it's a way that we see that we can be present in our community here, right around the Vine Church, meet some of these basic needs, um, and allow us to be really generous with the resources God has blessed us with. Does anyone want to add anything? You good? Oh, no, that's, that's
1: fantastic. And then why why partner, uh, why not partner with like a larger food bank and why this, um, this box?
0: Sure. Um, we have amazing food, like food insecurity resources here in Madison, the River Food Pantry, Feeding America, we have Badger Prairie Needs Network. There's a lot of amazing agencies that are working to address food insecurity in our neighborhood and in our county. Um, But this is kind of a cool way that we can, again, increase our presence here with our literal neighbors. It's part of our mission. So we we wanna be present to serve our actual neighbors and the cool thing about a little free pantry is that there is no specific time that it's open. There is no uh, income limits you have to prove to receive food from there. It's, it's very organic. It's very ad hoc because you never know what's going to be in there when you open it up. <laughs> but in that sense, there's no restrictions. So almost always you can go over there and open it and find something to eat or drink if you are hungry or thirsty. And again, huge foot traffic. We've got the bus stop right over here. So people are walking by constantly um, so that's one of the reasons we thought, why not, why not here, you know, and, and to start small and manageable. And we just would love to see where things can expand from there.
1: Love it. And so what, what exactly does it look like to serve or be a part of this serve? And then like what, uh, what are the specifics of what that looks like sure. uh, for us as a church?
0: Becky has been one of our most loyal volunteers over the past year. So I'm going to let you tackle this. What does it look like to serve the pantry or what are some of the things that you've stepped into over the past year? Um, really, I guess I would say just kind of stepping in when you ladies aren't available, and I'm happy to do that. Um, <laughs> just making sure there's food and, you know, resources, just things in there that people can use um, to bless them in their time of need. Yeah. For sure. I think the needs are for the most part, super basic. It's making sure that we have enough food to stock the pantry regularly. So even if that's something as small as your family deciding, hey, once a month, we're just going to make a donation. We're going to get 10 cans of soup and drop them off or whatever. Um, we have a huge need for people that are, you know, ongoingly making donations, but also like cre- serving really creatively. Like how could we help expand our 5K in the spring? Or, are there opportunities we can, you know, engage the neighborhood more and have a church picnic or the fall fest? So we need people to help with those sort of things as well as just the basic make donations, stock the pantry. Um, so there's a lot of creativity on this one, and I'm hoping if any of this sounds interesting to you, you can jump on that Slack channel and join us as we just try to engage our neighbors and, and meet those basic needs a little bit more.
1: And so just to be clear, if you were to bring, it's, it, it, for everyone, if you're going to bring um canned goods or things, you're going to place them in that basket back there where Kelsey Harper is. There's a basket where all donated items can go on a Sunday morning. So if you are, hey, we're going to once a month just buy extra for the sake of blessing our neighbors, that's where you would place it. But am I correct? There's also larger events that perhaps are planned that we would ask specifically for some of you to join this team Mm -hmm. to help plan some of these events.
0: Yeah, you bet. Like our vision would be to have those opportunities, hopefully twice a year, to have a larger event like our 5K that we've been running the past couple of springs, that really serves as a as a supply drive, right? So instead of charging an entry fee for a 5K, why don't you consider spending, you know, 20 bucks on providing food for the pantry here? So that takes a lot that takes a lot of work to pull off an event like that. So we would always appreciate more volunteers, people to step in. Um, and just help plan those events and help volunteer on the day of, as well as just the normal, like, hey, I I can agree to donate to this once in a while. Um, And again, tons of opportunity for expansion. Like, we desire to be present in this community. We desire to be a safe place for people to come. And part of that is just putting yourself out there and being available. So I, I see there's a lot of opportunities for expansion yep. just as the Lord leads us.
1: Yeah, and one of those creative potentials, um, this summer our youth group, The Basement, we went to a garden called Forward Gardens, uh, which is out way out in Verona, um, and we just served that garden. And the purpose of that garden, there's several of these around Madison, is to supply food pantries, uh, which this would actually qualify as, um, to put fresh uh, produce into those um, um, into those boxes, and so it's really cool because last week or the week before, actually produce came from Forward Garden into our food pantry, little free pantry box, and that was really cool uh, for me to see, hey, as a basement, we serve to help make that happen, and so maybe that's also an opportunity as we talk about creativity of even partnering with gardens to provide, you know, some of that fresh produce that we see kind of come full circle, Uh, but as someone who comes to the church building uh, about every day during the week, um, myself and Jackie, uh, there's not a morning or afternoon I'm believing that there's not somebody there uh, um, looking for food. So food insecurity is a real issue, um, and I think it's a real issue in our neighborhood. Um, So this is a tremendous opportunity uh, to be just as Jesus, or (laughs) as Jackie said, for us to be as Jesus, uh, giving food and water. Um, And so uh, an awesome thing to consider, uh, and specifically to help with uh, these ladies in some of those bigger events. Uh, But I think the call for all of us is to to, to consider bringing donated items from time to time uh, as well so thank you so much ladies appreciate you appreciate your heart for this Uh, well, we are continuing in our vision series, uh, looking at gospel, community, and mission. The last two weeks—two um, weeks ago was gospel. Last week was community. This week is mission. And I know there's uh, new faces uh, here this morning. I just encourage you: this is a great time to see if this is where God would have you to plant your flag as a, a church member. And so, uh, even if you missed the last two weeks, I encourage you to jump on our podcast and uh, listen along with us with with how we um, uh, think about gospel and community, and then. Obviously Obviously, today is uh, mission, but these are the pillars of our church that we want to be known um, by. And so we take every year, we we take three weeks here in September uh, to consider them, uh, to remind ourselves of these uh, truths. And as we think about mission, I mean, just in August, we had an entire series on evangelism, learning evangelism from Jesus, right? So some of this is kind of repeat, but as I was going through it um, just this past week, I was struck by, man, how much of this um, did I, in August, like, these are things that I want to be true of me, but how quickly we forget or fail to live it out. Um, So I think, again, we're going to have some really good pointed reminders from actually the lips of Jesus for us this morning. Um, So as we begin... um, on the night that Jesus, or the, the eve before Jesus was crucified, he prayed a prayer that we see in the Gospel of John, and he prayed this. He said, Father, I do not ask that you take them, this is his disciples, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but what? But that you keep them from the evil one. He goes on to say, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Don't, don't you wish, as you consider Jesus' prayer right there, that maybe he would have prayed differently? Like, such as, Father, I pray that you take them out of the world. Like, Jesus, like, get me out of this sad and broken world, please, right? Like, get us out of the world. But he doesn't pray that, and he won't pray that. Though not of this world, God purposes by his design for us to be in this world. So, so what then is our, the Christian, responsibility to our world? What is our mission? And throughout time, there's radically different answers that have been given to that question. I bet if each one of us answered that, it would probably look drastically different too. Some might say that the Christian responsibility is to renew society through political or social activism in things like racism or poverty or whatever injustice or inequity is in front of us. Others might argue that due to the moral and spiritual decay of society, Christians must withdraw. Like don't touch, don't taste. Our culture is bad and we must withdraw from that which is sinful. What is our responsibility to our world? What is our mission? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 13, 14, 15, and 16. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles out back. I encourage you to actually see the words of Jesus this morning. And in Jesus' words, he gives us two metaphors, salt and light, which if you think about it, are very ordinary commodities that we have in our world. And he uses these two metaphors to instruct his disciples you and I today of our responsibility and of our mission. But before we consider these two metaphors, I want us to, I want to make a few observations because I'm just making us land into this passage. Um, we haven't been studying it. So here's just a few observations before we get going. First, I want you to consider the larger context of Jesus's words. So if you look at the words ahead or below, you'll notice that this is part of a much larger sermon of Jesus, Right? what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, you'll see that these words come after what we call the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, we really see that this is uh, the characteristics of kingdom character. That if you're a person of God, this is the shared character that we have. And if you go to the next screen, you'll see that Jesus speaks of our kingdom character in the Beatitudes. There we have it. These are things which will be true if you are a kingdom person. And so Jesus, in a sense, builds on this idea of our kingdom character to t- then tell us in these two metaphors of salt and light of how our character leads to influence. How our character leads to influence. And we'll see that in these metaphors. But secondly, these metaphors of salt and light, they, they tell us about our world. They tell us about our world, for if our world has a need for these two basic commodities, salt and light, then Jesus is telling us that our world is not okay, that our world is not okay, that our, in a sense, our world is in decay. It's in need of preservation. Christian, you are the salt of the earth, that our world is in darkness. It's in need of light. Christian, you are light of the world. But thirdly these metaphors also tell us about ourselves as Christians. That when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world that you are it's not singular it's plural. This language it speaks that everyone who comes to faith in Jesus this is who you are you are these things. Now not everyone is salt and light. Only a specific few the The people of God. And this is not Jesus just hoping that you aspire to be these things. Not at all. As a follower of Jesus, you are already in this moment, right where you are seated, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And then lastly, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, right? Which means that we're not just a salt or a light, we are the salt. We are the light. There's no alternative. Jesus is speaking in exclusive terms. We are the only salt and the only light our world has. Look around at each other right now. Look around. You are it. You are the salt and light. And if we are the only salt and light of our world, the two essential commodities needed for survival, Jesus is telling his church followers of him, Christian, you have immense purpose. You have a grand mission. You have gospel influence. And that's our big idea this morning, that because of who you are in Jesus, and that's key, because of who you are in Jesus, you have gospel influence. Because of who you are in Jesus, you have gospel influence to pour out and shine about. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we just humbly submit ourselves under your teaching this morning. Lord, open your words to our hearts and our hearts to your word. Lord, prune back any hedge of disbelief that we may see you most clearly right now. We pray that by the power of your spirit and word. Amen. Let's take a look at these two metaphors of salt and light, and hopefully these will be helpful as we think about our responsibility and mission as Christians to our world. So first, salt. I don't know about you, but initially I found it quite odd that Jesus chose salt to be a metaphor. But if you think about it, which I had to this week, you actually find that salt is one of the most essential compounds needed in our world today. Like we actually need salt to properly function in our human bodies. How many of you, let me just ask, how many of you use salt in some way before even coming to church? All right, about half of you. And I'm going to assume that before the day is over, every one of us, or nearly every one of us, will have used salt in some way. It's just true. And it's also true, it was true in the ancient world in the time of Jesus, that salt was of immense value. So much so that Roman soldiers at this time were actually paid in salt. Salt. So when Jesus says the church is to be the salt of the earth, what did Jesus intend by this metaphor? And there's been a lot of things suggested throughout time. You've probably heard some of these things preached. Scholars are not short on ideas, but you perhaps have heard, and perhaps it could be the intention of Jesus, that salt, it functions as a way of providing savor, savor or flavor. You know, french fries without salt are awful, Right? And whether it's fries or another food, the right amount of salt greatly enhances flavor and the enjoyment to what is otherwise just bland. So if this is his point, Jesus perhaps is saying that Christians should be the ones bringing flavor and taste into our world, offering the true joy and love and zest for life that can only be found in Jesus. We also know that salt was used as a fertilizer in the ancient world. That when salt was spread over the ground in small amounts, it aided the root system and the absorption of water. So, so if this is his point, Jesus perhaps is saying Christians are like a fertilizer in a field, the ones making the field more receptive to the seeds of the gospel. And we know that salt was used as a preservative in the ancient world. Before refrigerators or freezers, right, people salted their food to preserve their food from spoil and decay. And if this is Jesus' point, he's perhaps saying that Christians serve as like a moral disinfectant, that we are the ones that should slow the spread of sin and corruption and wickedness throughout our culture, while at the same time preserving the eternal truths of God. There's a lot of other functions of salt. We could think about salt and how it functions in treating a wound. Or as you go through the Old Testament, salt was a sign of judgment. There's lots of other functions of salts in the ancient world, in our world too. So what was Jesus' intention in using this metaphor? What is the point? Well, as I've studied this, I'm not convinced it's tied to any of the above uses that we just listed. Look again at verse 13. I guess we haven't read it yet, but here we go. Verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. That's it. He doesn't expand it beyond that metaphor. He doesn't go through the different functions of salt and try to extend that into his disciples' lives of how that then should uh, play out. He just leaves it at, you are the salt of the earth. You see, I, don't, I, I think Jesus is simply using this common and essential commodity of his time, salt, as a way in which to remind his disciples of who they are. That as salt was vitally needed in their world, so too are the people of God. That as salt possessed purpose in their world, so do the people of God. That as salt provided benefit, vast benefits, plural benefits, so also must the people of God. God. In other words, no matter how you think the world thinks of you as a Christian or talks of you or labels you, you are essential to kingdom work. You possess a responsibility of gospel influence to the world around you. You are the salts of the earth. So, so what does that look like? What does that mean? And this is probably a great city group conversation because the list is probably exhaustive. But we could put on this list things such as as Christians, we leverage our speech. We speak in truth and love to build up. We refrain from joining in around the water cooler in crude jokes or in gossip of others. As Christians, we we steward our money to, to build and advance the kingdom of God. We consider others first as we sacrificially and joyfully look to be generous, especially to the poor. As Christians, we involve involve ourselves in seeking the good of of every citizen of our community. We we use our time to pray for our local officials and laws to curb moral perversion and injustice. And the list can keep going on. Yet perhaps the most fundamental way in which the Christian uh, displays this Christian saltiness is manifested back in the Beatitudes. So if we go back to that screen... If we go back to our character, these are the ways in which we exhibit our saltiness as we do these things. As we are, are meek and merciful and pure in heart and pursue peace. These are the things that lead us to saltiness. Our character leads us to influence. I think Paul gives us a a really vivid illustration of this very thing of how to be salt on earth in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul's dealing with the question in this passage about what do you do when someone becomes a believer while their spouse is not a believer? And Paul, Paul says this, let me read it to you, it should be on the screen too. Paul says, if any brother has a wife who, has a, who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. And otherwise your children would be unclean, for as it is, they are holy. See, Paul is saying that the mere presence of a believing husband or wife, it doesn't result in automatic salvation of the other. But what Paul is saying is that the mere presence of a believing wife or husband has this sanctifying impact or a gospel influence upon the other. This is the very testimony of my own parents. My mother came to faith a few years after in their marriage. And as she grew in kingdom character... And faithfully living that out over time, it led to kingdom influence where my dad could not deny that Jesus was his Lord and Savior and he became saved. I imagine some of you have testimonies like that too. To be salt on earth, Jesus is telling us that we, by our very presence on this earth, possess this sanctifying impact, this gospel influence to the world around us. Longtime Bible teacher Howard Hendrick offers this compelling thought. I love this quote. He says, Do you present the sort of witness so that when you leave, people say, I want that. I want to be like him or her. He says this, which is good. We can't quench their spiritual thirsts, but we can direct them to Jesus who can. People insist that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can always feed him Salt. Can always feed him salt. This metaphor reminds us of who we are. But as I've studied this passage, I think the more emphatic thrust of this metaphor is in telling us in who we are not. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, a follower of Jesus who doesn't speak or talk or live as a follower of Jesus is worthless to the kingdom of God. I think the driving emphasis here in this salt metaphor is Jesus saying, salt that becomes tasteless is worthless. Salt that becomes tasteless is worthless. And critics throughout time have pointed out that salt, sodium chloride, cannot lose its saltiness, which I found this week is, is actually kind of true. I'm not a chemist, but I've, I've read that sodium chloride is incredibly stable and resistive to break down. So what's going on here? Why does Jesus reference salt that becomes tasteless? Well, context matters, as it always does, Right? Jesus was speaking to an experience of people in the first century, and a primary source of salt was the Dead Sea. And salt from the Dead Sea was always mixed with many other minerals, minerals which would contaminate the purity of the salts, leaving a salt so diluted that it was rendered tasteless, worthless. So, was Jesus making a direct reference to this? I don't know. But I do know and convince that those who are listening to Jesus' words right here, they have an understanding of a salt that's lost its taste. They would get that. They've experienced that. And they knew that that type of salt was of no value or benefit in their world. It was absolutely worthless. To as what Jesus says to be thrown out and trampled under one's foot. See, Jesus is offering his disciples then and us now a warning a, a warning against compromise against contamination because our effectiveness as salt being salt of the earth it's conditioned on our ability to remain salty if salt loses its saltiness it loses its purpose the purpose of salt is to function as salts And the purpose of a follower of Jesus is to behave and live as a follower of Jesus. Jesus is speaking to the distinctness that the Christians have from the world. Because if we're not distinct from the world, what possible benefit of our salt can we actually give to the world? And this warning is is well served, isn't it? Because in our human nature, we don't want to be salt of the earth, we want to be the earth. We want to be the earth. And yet we lose any effectiveness as salt. We lose our gospel influence as we become mixed up and contaminated with the sinful elements of our world. I think of the biblical example of Lot. Remember his story? How him and Abraham had two two lands to choose from. And he chose the better land. And it was known that in that land was the wicked city of Sodom. And when it comes time for for Lot to be rescued, we, we see the Bible actually speaks of this, that Lot is so mixed up, I believe, in the wickedness of that city that the Bible says that he's actually lingering at the edge of the city. He's lingering at the edge of the city that's to be destroyed, having to be forcibly removed by the angels of God. If salt loses its saltiness, it loses its purpose. Jesus has given us a health check this morning, a heart examination. For all of us to ask ourselves and to ask others to ask ourselves too, we invite accountability into our lives as Christians. Are the shows you watch, the books you read, the music you listen to increasing your love for Jesus or for the world? Are your conversations with neighbors and coworkers and uh, family reflective of kingdom values or worldly values? Do the appointments that you have set on your calendar reflect the priorities of God's kingdom or a self building kingdom? Christian, this morning, you are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. You have gospel influence with a sanctifying impact to spread, to pour out. And there's a warning to not allow the world to contaminate your love for Jesus. And there's another metaphor in here of light. Jesus says in verse 14 that you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And some of you Bible scholars might find this interesting, right? Because we know that Jesus says in John that he is the light of the world. But now he's saying, you are the light of the world. What's going on? Well, as you continue reading in John's uh, uh, gospel, you see that he, Jesus later on says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world. Meaning, Jesus is light of the world while he remains in this world, yet there's coming a time when he will leave. And he says later on in John that the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. But while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light, to become sons of light. As we turn to Jesus in faith and repentance, we become this very thing, sons of light. Jesus remains and always will remain the source of light. Our light is but a reflection of his. It's probably helpful to think about it as we think about like the sun and moon, right? That while Jesus walked on this earth, he was like the sun, the source, the origination of light. But as evening comes, as the sun, you know, departs from our sky, it's the moon which comes and arises and reflects the light onto our world. And the church, you, followers of Jesus, are sons of light, reflection of Jesus, the true light, which is why Paul says, "For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, and who has shown in our hearts to give, who's shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus." Paul is saying, as Jesus Jesus sign, shines on us, we shine upon the world. So, if we're to reflect the true light of Jesus, we don't look any further than the light that Jesus has already shown while He walked on Earth, right? So how did Jesus shine as light of the world while he walked on this earth? Well, time and time again, we see him piercing through spiritual darkness and illuminating to men and women uh, the path to God and of their needed salvation. Jesus consistently and faithfully made known the way of God, the way to go to God. Jesus time and time exposed flawed ideologies and illuminated to men and women the eternal truths of God's goodness and love. He made known the things of God. And we see Jesus time and time again strip away the outer layer of man-made identities to reveal the true beauty of humanity made in the image of God. Jesus reveals and illuminates the things that God cares about. Jesus shows the path to God. Jesus showed the things of God and the things that God cared about. This is how we shine. This is how we shine. But as we have in the metaphor of salt, this metaphor of light, while reminding us of who we are as followers of Jesus, it's really a metaphor with more emphatic thrust of telling us who we're not. Look at verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Jesus is saying here that light is worthless if it's not visible. Light is worthless if it's not visible. Look at, look at the very first part there, 14. It says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Meaning, we're not like little tiny villages tucked away in valleys obscure from everybody unnoticeable to those passing by? No, we're we're a city set on a hill with a glow that can be seen for miles around. And Jesus says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. It's foolish to light a lamp and then cover it up, right? And not only is it foolish, but it's selfish. Selfish. To cover a a, a lamp so that all the others in the house are in darkness. Light is worthless if it's not visible. Did God redeem us, shed his light of his spirit in our hearts only for us to cover all that up in silence and passivity? No. This is why Jesus moves from these two metaphors to give us a single command in this passage. Verse 16. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before others. On face value, this this command that Jesus gives, it might provoke some thought in some of you of like this seems problematic that Jesus um, consistently, especially in Matthew, has this like constant ire against religious leaders of empty hypocrisy of doing these good things, but it's hollow. Even in just a few verses, in the same sermon, Jesus says in chapter 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It seems like a conflict. I don't think there is. Because I think it comes to a matter of the heart. In Matthew 6, Jesus is warning against the practice of righteousness in order that you may be seen by others, your fellow humans. And in that case, the motive is to draw all the attention of all the spiritual good we're doing onto ourselves. And that nails each one of our temptation, doesn't it? We all want to wear the merit badge of good works. We want to be recognized and valued by others. But Jesus warns in Matthew 6, there's of no eternal significance of doing that. But in Matthew 5, in verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? your Father who is in heaven. The motive here is to draw all attention to the true light source, God himself. And when that happens, we bring into focus the gospel with the end result of God glorified. The light that God puts in his people is a light designed to be seen by others to give him glory. Not to us, but to him. Which means the ways in which we are of eternal significance. That when you allow the light of Jesus to shine through your life, you allow the world to see a selfless contribution to our dying and broken world. Our world gets to see your contribution of mercy mercy to the widow and the orphan. Our world gets to see your contribution of love to the outcast. Our world gets to see your contribution of grace and peace to the imprisoned. Our world gets to see your contribution of generosity to the poor. We serve and love and contribute for we have been served and loved and contributed to first. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the very light we're trying to make visible in our community, our world. Divine church by the grace of Jesus will never exist as some religious country club for our own enjoyment we exist as a church because there's a mission to declare and to demonstrate to our neighbors and nations the good news of jesus over this past month you've heard about how our church is prioritizing how you can be a light to our community like grab that green piece of paper right now hold it i want you to hold it in your hands grab that piece of paper you have different opportunities. And you can throw the, I don't know if we have the screen, Chris, but there's the screen. You have opportunities to be a light through these different streams. You have the Elizabeth House, which is supporting mothers through unplanned pregnancies. Making the choice to keep their child. We have international students. Just a, the, na- the nations are in our backyard. An opportunity to build relationship and to speak of Christ with international students. Zateo joining a ministry that's seeking to break the chains of human trafficking. The Free Little Pantry we're heard right now assisting in food security for those in need. These are four incredible opportunities. I just want to encourage you right now in this moment to perhaps consider what would it look like to commit for the next 12 months to faithfully let your light shine through one of these opportunities. Reject passivity. The easy thing is to let this green piece of paper remain seated on this chair as you leave. God has given you a light to shine on our community. And you know what? We don't possess an authority in ourselves to turn on and off that light switch. Our light is always on for Jesus to shine. I encourage you to reach out to the leader that's on that piece of paper. Get the information you need Plug the dates of how we're serving into your calendar. Make it a priority. But beyond this formal way of serving and being a light, I want to encourage you this morning to think of a neighbor, a coworker, a family member who doesn't know Jesus and just ask you, who's your one that you can just be praying, that you can be a light and salt to that individual? Who's one person to faithfully pray for Who's your one? Who can you commit to be praying for for the rest of this year? Building an authentic relationship, being salt, shining the truth of Jesus into their lives as God gives opportunity. I encourage you to perhaps share this as what God's doing or wrestling in your own heart of ways that you can be light to share that in the city group. The truth is, as we heard last night, to be on the mission of God, we need the community of Jesus as our Accountability and encouragement, and as I continue to keep going, can we do that together? You, Christian, are light of the world. You possess gospel influence by your reflection of Jesus' light into the life of others. And there's a warning that light is worthless if it's not shining, if it's not visible. But because of who you are in Jesus' church, you have gospel influence to pour out like salt. You have gospel influence to shine on others like a light. This is your responsibility and mission in this world. So church, let's go be salty. Let's go let our lights shine. Jesus, we thank you for these two metaphors the things that we can take away from your teaching. First Lord, we just thank you for your salvation, that you have shown into our hearts the light of who you are, that you came to earth to provide us with the greatest benefit, salvation. We thank you for the good news of your gospel this morning. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning that we would be courageous to be salt and light in the places that you've already placed us. You don't ask us to climb any lampstand. You just simply say shine. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us as followers of Jesus. And not only here at the Vine Church, but in your church here in Madison and around the world. Lord, we pray that the lost might come out of darkness and into your light. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.